Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. The pandemic has brought a boom in what's called retail investing. Everyday people betting on companies they think could be the next big thing or the next trend. Like that frenzy over GameStop last year. Lots of companies, including Canadian ones, have been caught up in this. But some that were once thriving have recently suffered big losses. And no matter how much you can say to people, you try to say to people or write to people in in my job, that these, these valuations don't make sense, people don't want to hear it. They want to believe. They want to think that they found the next great thing. Tim Kalads is a reporter and columnist here at The Globe. Today, he helps us understand the incredible world of growth stocks and all the FOMO and eye-popping numbers that go along with them. This is The Decibel. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Very happy to be here on a uh, very snowy morning in Toronto. (laughs) So, Tim... Let's start with the big picture here of of what's going on in the stock market these days. We've heard that prices are down, but how widespread is that? It's not the whole market, and this is where it can be a bit perplexing because the market's actually still rising, but there's a huge sector of the market that is struggling. And the broad term for that sector would be growth stocks. And growth stocks, the term can apply to anything. So right now, growth stocks tend to apply to innovation stocks. So companies that are kind of digital first, or we're supposed to benefit from a lot of people working from home. So Zoom, um, it's up 157%, which is pretty good, but it was up way more uh, before the recent uh, correction. Uh, So in the last year, it's down 59%. And then another one is um, Peloton. Um, It is down 79% in the last year. And that um, ties into this theme because everyone thought by working from home, people need to work out at home because who's going to go to a spin class again when you can just do it at home? That was always kind of the mentality. What is causing these crash in their prices then? All of a sudden, we've had this huge inflation hit where we've seen prices skyrocket. And the best way to combat inflation is to raise interest rates. And so all of a sudden, it forced people to think like, oh, well, you can't keep borrowing for cheap now, or you can't keep raising money for cheap. Uh, And therefore, it's going to be more expensive. That might slow your growth. And that ties into this next theme, which is that the growth had been so explosive for so long that effectively people got ahead of themselves. You know, investors got ahead of themselves and thought that it could just continue forever. Hmm. So just to really drive this point home and to clarify uh, what exactly is going on here. So increased inflation means that companies will not be able to borrow money for cheap, interest rates will go up. And this is what's causing kind of, I guess, a scare a little bit. Is, is that really what's happening? Yeah. What you have to understand with investing, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it really is the truth. Sometimes the narrative matters more than anything. And so the narrative right now is, oh my God, interest rates. And so just the potential fear of them has caused people to say, you know what, I'm just going to cash out the profits I've made and take them off the table. And that alone is enough to stop the rise from happening. Okay, so to be clear here, when this kind of drop does happen then, Tim, who is losing out when we see this kind of dramatic shift in the market? Who's losing money here? It's hard to tell, but I would say that in general, what we tend to see happens is they go public and then uh, you have these kind of smart money managers buy into the initial offering 
because they want to be kind of part of, of the shares. Uh, and you have this kind of quick uptick in the share price, maybe say 30% in, in a month or two. And it looks really, really great. But then what, then what tends to happen is a lot of this kind of smart money cashes out. They say, hey, we got this quick gain, we're out. And they tend to sell to the average retail investor. And that's been this other major theme during the pandemic where retail investors have become these massive buyers, like way more, um, way more so than normal. And so there was a stat, I think from May of last year, if I remember correctly, where uh, from Canada, that I think it was the OSC, the Ontario Securities Commission, came out and said about 50% of all trades right now are being done by your average retail investor, uh, which is like obscenely high given the, kind of the, the standards. And when you say retail investor, Tim, these are just like people buying buying stock then, correct? Yeah, literally like the average person often on, on an app like Robinhood was a big one in the United States. And if you remember last year, right, it was actually right around this time, we had this like meme stock phenomenon where the likes of like GameStop and uh, BlackBerry and yeah. AMC Entertainment, like all of a sudden they started soaring and everyone was like, what is going on? Check out shares of GameStop surging another 51% today. The record move driven by a retail rebellion, an army of day traders going to battle against noted short seller Andrew Left. Laid out five reasons. And it was like people were stuck at home bored and it became this like fun gambling thing to do. And so what, what tends to happen is momentum really sucks the average investor in because I hate to say it, but it's FOMO. You know, the fear of missing out really drives uh, people to, to invest. Um, but uh, there was actually some research done on kind of who gets hurt when these things happen. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was, it was well simple. Um, and they were able to track through their own system who invested in, and when. And they found that the average person who invested on their platform, the average retail investor, when they invested in GameStop, eventually lost money. Because what ended up happening is did all the smart money rode the wave up, and then it kind of peaked. And that's when all the, I hate to say it, but we call it the dumb money, that's the kind of a term uh, in, in business investing, piles in, and they're the ones left holding the bag. And you see this over and over again. And no matter how much you can say to people, you try to say to people or write to people in, in, in my job um, that these, these valuations don't make sense, people don't want to hear it. They want to believe. They want to think that they found the next great thing. It's, it's like it's innate in humans. This is interesting then. So let's talk a little bit about valuation and, and how this plays out here because we talked about, you know, approaching it as, as gambling or FOMO here. And you also talked about how things are kind of based on narrative or, or stories that people want to create around around these companies. So the value of some of these companies that we're talking about here, where, where does that stand? Like, are these companies that are making a lot of money? Uh, no. <laughs> that's the thing that's, that's floored me the most. A number of these companies have had years, sometimes over a decade to make money and they just never have. And so the example I always give is Uber. Uber's been around for over a decade and it's lost over $20 billion, literally over $20 billion. And, and in fact, what happened is, you know, they have these Silicon Valley or venture capital backers that were betting on the next big thing. And so they kept flooding it with money. And the whole idea was, we're going to become the dominant ride hailing company. And so we're going to beat out the taxis and we're going to beat out Lyft, who came along as a competitor. But to do that, they were effectively subsidizing each ride. And so the, the reason why it was so cheap is because they were effectively paying like half of your ride for you. It's the best way to think about it. And so the idea with a lot of these companies is you just keep doing this until you get scale. And scale effectively means you have so much market power or you're, you're the, the number one player that you can finally start raising prices and make money. And so the company that really did do this is Netflix. 
And it's almost a shame that Netflix worked out on some level because it let everybody think that they could be the next Netflix. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around this a little bit. Like, how can a company be worth billions like Uber, but not actually be making a profit? What's what's going on there? I wish I had an answer for you. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous. Um, and, I mean, I mean, listen, it's all about forward profit. I know that's kind of a technical term, but it's about future profit, really. So the idea is, you know, we're willing to accept the losses now because the profits will be so enormous in the future. But the problem is that the vast majority of these companies probably aren't going to get to that level. But you can never tell in the early days which ones are going to. So everyone just became willing to, to gamble, to take a bet and let it let it kind of play out. But what we've seen time and time again with corrections is that eventually something clicks and you can never really tell what it's going to be. But uh, the term for it that we in, in finance is it's the black swan event. And it just effectively means that something comes out of nowhere and just makes everybody kind of all of a sudden say, this doesn't make sense. And then a correction comes. And what's wild is that the pandemic technically should have been that, but it didn't happen because we actually had so much stimulus, government stimulus kind of supporting the economy that Everything kind of stayed afloat. This is kind of a crazy way of looking at this, though, because as we're talking about, it's, you know, a bit of a game. This doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, is this kind of broken the way that we think about investment here? How is it that we can value something so high and actually have, you know, the value be minimal there? Is, is, is this the way it's supposed to work? No. And I'll, I'll be very frank. I was at a point where I was actually getting quite scared. I was like, if this goes on for another six months, another year, like we're going to be completely untethered from what the norms are. Everybody kind of kept saying at some point, the fundamentals or the, the profits or the potential for profit is going to matter. But it was such a crazy time that it was hard to see when that would be the case. And then it just so happens that in November, it was just like something snapped. And uh, all of a sudden, it, it really did matter. You're still going to have hardcore believers out there who want to chase fantasies. And you kind of just learn over time that you can't convince everybody of everything, but at least we're having a correction or kind of a reset that has taken a lot of this froth out of the market. So Tim, companies do need some time in order to turn a profit. Is this kind of extended runway that some of these companies have now, though, more time to turn a profit? Is that just kind of the new norm now? It's hard to say if it's the new norm because it has crept into public markets so quickly. But I will say that it actually is the norm in private markets. And when I say private markets, I mean in Silicon Valley. Um, so you have a lot of you know venture capitalists who... For decades, they were willing to bet on unprofitable companies because they were happy to kind of give them the runway and let them grow. That's literally how the sector worked. And it was always a high risk sector. What's happened now is that public investors have taken over and they've seen such massive wins with the likes of Netflix or Facebook that they've almost kind of gotten greedy and they're willing to act like a venture capitalist on a public market. And so it's been this complete mind shift. And the problem with that is that retail investors at the very end of the spectrum aren't nearly as sophisticated as the venture capitalists. And so it's this complete mismatch of mentality and type of investing. 
And I think some of that mismatch is what is leading to this recent correction. So, Tim, we've talked about, I guess, how, how the stock market is working in a, in a way it's not really supposed to. How is it supposed to work with, with companies like this? Effectively, uh, not to get too theoretical here, but when you own a share of a company or you own stock in a company and you say 100 shares, you technically have a claim or a right to a percentage of the profits. Um, and, and the whole point is that if a company were to um, get sold um, or it, the opposite happened, uh, if the company were to go bankrupt, you have a percentage claim on whatever is left of the company um, when, it, when it goes under. So that is why when people are betting on companies that don't make money, you know, if it all falls apart, you don't actually really have a claim on anything. The analogy I was going to give, and I think it's been a very form- informative one in Canada, is what happened with our cannabis industry. It was this perfect kind of bubble hype story because here's this brand new industry. Everybody wanted to get in on the gold rush. And because it was cannabis, you know, it's just something that can kind of, like, they've been around, right? So they're like, I understand this. This one is, you know, I'm going to get rich off of what I've been doing since high school, you know? Um, <laughs> the problem though is that very soon there was so much money flooding in that if you just ran the numbers, you could see that the amount of weed being produced could never be consumed within Canada and no one cared. And so we wrote all these stories about how like this does not make sense. And you could scream bubble till you were blue in the face and no one cared. And then eventually it crashed just like uh, everything is crashing right now uh, in terms of the kind of growth innovation stocks. And so it's been a lesson for me too of, you know, these things happen, particularly when you have this new industry emerge or new type of stock or company emerge. There's always going to be speculation. It's just a matter of how long that speculation goes on that dictates just how how hard the fall could be. Okay, so, I mean, it sounds like it's not a great idea to invest in these growth stocks right now then. Uh, But but what stocks, I guess, could be uh, a better bet at this point in time? Where should people maybe be looking to, to put their money? Well, there's there's two sectors that have been, at least one of them has been quite shocking. Um, so, uh, in terms of its rebound, and that's energy, Canadian energy, believe it or not. So I'll give you an example. So Canadian natural resources is one of Canada's top energy producers. It actually does both oil and gas. Just looked it up this morning. It's up 110% in one year. Um, so it's like the complete inverse of Peloton, you know, Mm -hmm. but, it's almost like it's not cool or, or nice or whatever to talk about it because of the environmental concerns, but a lot of investors don't care. And then secondly, believe it or not, the plain old boring Canadian banks have been soaring. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, again, I looked it up this morning and there's an index that kind of tracks the average bank, is the best way to put it, and it's up 40% in one year. So with rates rising, people wanting to spend, if they can just get out of their houses, um, they're probably going to do pretty well, them being the banks. But what we're also seeing, and this is what worries me, is that you're seeing this crazy kind of hype building in those stocks now too. That being said, if you're just a diversified investor, uh, meaning you kind of have a bit of money in all these different places and you're investing for the longer term, it probably won't affect you as much. Um, It's all about, you know, how you allocate your money. And if you go all in on a sector like, like these innovation stocks and you don't have exposure elsewhere, you're really going to suffer. Tim, thanks so much for walking us through this today. No problem. Happy to be here. Before we go, an update on another story we've been following. 
Tennis star Novak Djokovic is now back in Serbia after having his visa revoked again by Australian authorities for being unvaccinated against COVID-19. This prevented him from defending his title at the Australian Open. And now, a new law in France, intended to exclude the unvaccinated from sports venues, may put his chance to play in this May's French Open in jeopardy. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.